0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and open to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. Father, as we come before you today, open our eyes to your word, that we may see and understand, that we may hear, not with the ears of man, but with the ears that have been touched by the Holy Spirit, that it may seep into our hearts and fill all that we are. That We may live out this gracious word you have given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've chosen the gospel of John to begin the year, that we would go through this gospel. As some have said, it is a book which a child can wade and an elephant can swim in. Now, we'll wade in some parts and we'll swim in some others to the point that we get in depth in it and and it just fills all that we are. I don't know how long we'll study John, how long it'll take to get through all of it. Uh, I expect the first chapter will go pretty slowly because it is rich with who Jesus is. And if we don't understand who Jesus is, we're not going to understand everything else. But once we get past the first chapter, it'll go pretty quickly, I think, because of the way that John structures how he presents the person of Christ. Now, if you remember, nine and a half years ago, yeah, Okay, I, I know that you remember that. Uh, uh, we began a study on the book of Matthew, and it, we studied Matthew mostly on and off for almost four years. That's how long it took us to get through Matthew. Uh, it won't take us four years to get through John. It'll be much faster than that. Uh, a few years ago, we started the, a study of the book of Romans, and we got halfway through the book of Romans, and we will return to Romans at a later date. Now, when we look at the, the structure of a gospel and why people write things. Now, um, I, I hate to say this, but I have four books in my office. Uh, they're on my computer, they're in boxes, and they're books that I have started, but I've never been able to get over the hump and, and finish them. Now, I have a friend in Louisiana who writes books, he just cranks them out. And I, I, I say, Garrett, why do you write books? He says, I have to. There's something within me that has to get out. I'm like well, that's that's a pretty good reason to write a book, and I've got another pastor friend, and, and I can I have to quote him as to I said why are you writing this book? He's writing a book on preaching. He says because I've got the best way to do it, and the church needs to know it. So <laughs> <said>, okay, man, <laughs> <If> that's <laughs> all right, that's it. Okay, well most re- most reasons people write books are. I don't want to say they're pedestrian, but they're because we think we've got a good a good thing going on and we want to share it, or we just feel like we've got the right answer and everybody has to know it, or there's something within us that comes out. We're going to find out today why John wrote this gospel, why John wrote his book. It is very clear and very direct, and it is summed up not in the opening verses, of his gospel, but way at the end, in the 20th chapter, right at the end, verses 30 and 31. So let me read those for us today. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now that's the reason why this gospel is written. And if John were here, he would say the only purpose I have in putting a pen to paper or or ink to parchment, however it was when he did this, was because I want you to know who Jesus Christ is. And once you know who Jesus Christ is, you will believe, and by believing, you will have eternal life. That is the sole purpose of this gospel. Now... Let me give you a quick overview of all the gospels so that we can understand John's just a little bit better. Turn to Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew. Now we can't—I can't read the gospels or look at them as, as they are laid out and think that the hand of, of God's providence was not upon. Obviously, they're, they're being placed in a certain order, and God using certain individuals under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to present and give us pictures of who Jesus is, of who Jesus is. Now, it's proper that Matthew, Mark, and Luke should be put together in a particular order, and that John, see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels, and we'll talk more about that later. They are are like kind. John is a little bit different, and there's a reason that John's is a little bit different. Now, Matthew is the first, and he presents Jesus Christ as king. Look at the very first verse of the first chapter of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Who was born first, Abraham or David? Abraham. Why is David listed first? Because David was king. Okay, David was king and Jesus is the son of David. So his genealogy is shaped, and the gospel of Matthew is really shaped to demonstrate that Jesus is the coming king, the Messiah that we have been waiting for, and he comes from the proper line in the proper fashion that he gives evidence that he is the son of David, the one whose throne would be forever and ever. Now, not all of the gospels have genealogies. Mark does not. John does not. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Matthew and Luke both have genealogies. And Matthew is saying he is to be the king, the one whom Zechariah foretold hundreds of years before. Zechariah said, behold, the king comes to the meek and lowly, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that prophecy is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And above his head on the cross was a sign that said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Now it was meant in derision, but yet it is true. He comes as king. Now, flip over to the Gospel of Mark. Now, chronologically, Mark is probably written first out of all the Gospels. Um, And Mark's... Mark is... um, In today's world, Mark would write with bullet points. Okay? Now, I have a friend uh, that... I probably told you, he he teaches... He comes down from Cleveland, teaches at Vanderbilt, a class in business... He first paper he assigned to all these very eager Vanderbilt students, okay, Vanderbilt has a a reputation for being a group of bright people, and and he said, I want a five-page paper on this, okay, and he gave them the topic. Well, he said, out of 30 people in the class, I got five five five-page papers. The rest were longer than five pages, I don't think I ever wrote a paper longer than the professor, uh, you know, told me to write. And he he stood up in front of them, and he held up one paper that was over 15 pages long, and he said, I stopped reading at the bottom of page 5. I don't want to know what you have to say in page 6. I want 5 pages. And if you're going to be in the business world, you better learn to write in bullet points. You better learn to write concisely and to the point, because when you go into your boss, he's not going to have time to wade through all of these great and deep thoughts. He wants to know the facts. Mark gives us the facts, okay? Mark gives us the facts. Throughout his gospel, the word eutheus is used immediately, right away, straight away, kind of right now. This is the way he lays it out. And, and Mark just kind of condenses the life of Christ and, and the theology that we need to understand here. He gives it in a rapid presentation of the work of Jesus. And he also presents him as a servant, now that's one of the reasons why we don't have a genealogy in Mark. Who cares about the genealogy of a servant?? Okay? We only care about the genealogy of a king. Okay? So Jesus has come as Mark presents him to do his father's business and to get down to business. Now, Luke, turn over to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. We really go to the third chapter of Luke. The third gospel presents Jesus pretty much as a man. Now, it's important for our Lord as a man to have a genealogy, and that's what we see in Luke chapter 3. And you have to go to the 23rd verse of the genealogy. And contrary to Matthew's genealogy that starts old and goes to the new, Luke's genealogy starts with Joseph and goes backwards to Adam. He doesn't go to the king, David, he goes all the way back to Adam in an effort to help us understand that Jesus Christ, being 100% God, was also 100% man. That deity came and dwelt in this body, and that is the incarnation. So Luke gives us this, and he begins with um, verse 23, and when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age being supposedly the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, and the son of the son of the son of a son of... And all the way back to verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So that gives us a different take about who Jesus is. Now, then we have the Gospel of John. And if you go to our passage today, John chapter 20... He gives us a particular view of what is going on here. John is called, he was known in the early church as the theologian, the theologian, because of the way that he went about presenting who Jesus is. Now, there's no surprise that, there should be no surprise that there's no genealogy in John. In fact, it begins with an eternal Christ, as we'll see next week, because we're actually going to begin in the first verse next week. But it begins with an eternal Christ. God has no genealogy. Who was God's father? When did God begin? In fact, in Greek, if we translate the first verse, it says, Before the beginning began, the word was. Before the beginning began. Now, you work that out in your own mind. okay? But that's what it says. Christ has been here all the time. So we can't have a genealogy when we're talking about Christ as the Son of God, Christ as the incarnate Son of God who has come to give us life. Now, John wrote his gospel so that we might know who Jesus was and to believe. He also wrote it to combat error. John's gospel was written a little bit later than the other gospels, so by that time the church was in gear and it was happening and error was seeping in, so John is writing to combat some of the error that was, was uh, cropping up, and we'll see that as we go along. But his purpose is really summed up, and we can go back to Caesarea Philippi, and there the apostles are there, and Jesus looks at them and says, who do you say I am? Or who do men say that I am? They give a list and they look and say, who do you say I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. That's the way that we understand who Christ is. When the Father reveals him to us. And what is the instrument that the Father uses to reveal who Christ is? Through the power of the Spirit, through the demonstration and the preaching of the Word of God. And John has written this portion of the word of God so that we might know who Jesus is, who Jesus is. And that's its design. In fact, more than more than 98, I I quit looking at 98 times. John says that you might believe that you might believe. He kind of beats us over the head with that. Now, occasionally, people think that the Gospels are intended to be little miniature biographies, little miniature lives of Christ. If they are the lives, the lives of Christ, they are very cursory and slender volumes indeed. I did some, some looking around at great biographies, and the biography of Robert E. Lee, written by Douglas Southall Freeman, is in four large volumes, more than 2,000 pages, It took him 19 years to complete it, and it is considered the finest work on Robert E. Lee ever published and one of the finest biographies ever published. If we hold up the life of Robert E. Lee to the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and say which biography is more in-depth, well, we have to say Freemans because it is a biography. The Gospels are not biographies. They are theological works with a particular purpose in mind. They only present certain portions of Christ and certain portions of his life from the perspective of each author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, In the same sense that if we went out and stood on the four corners of an intersection and watched an accident, we might come up with a little different take on each what each color car was involved. Uh, what each person was doing. Well, they were smoking a cigarette. No, I didn't think they were smoking. I thought they were combing their hair. No, no, they were talking on their cell phone. They were texting. Texting is against the law now while you drive. You know, you've seen those signs. Okay. John says, many other signs did Jesus do also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. We see, there are gobs of other things that Jesus did. And, and John says, I didn't write those down because they didn't fit my purpose, or perhaps they were redundant. He, You know, I, we have a healing here. We didn't need another healing of the same sort. He says, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the outcome of that belief? Eternal life. Eternal life. This gospel stands apart from the other three because of its purpose and its character. Now, a pastor I know was told a story of. You know, I was in a conference he was speaking at, and he told this story. He's sitting in his office one day, and his secretary says, there's a man out here, he's pretty distraught, can you talk to him? And, and he said, all right, send him in. And he came in, and he was uh, uh, a doctor, he was uh, Jewish, he ran an abortion clinic. He said, my business is failing, my second marriage is failing, my life is falling apart, it has no meaning. One of my friends said, you'd be able to help me. What can you do for me? And, you know, that's a lot to put on somebody's plate all of a sudden. And he says, I can't help you. Straight out. He says, I can't help you. can't do anything for you. He says, I think I know a guy who can. The guy's like, yeah, yeah, who's that? He gave him the Gospel of John. He said, you go and you read this. When you figure out who Jesus is, you come back and see me. The guy took the book. He's like, this is the best you can do. So he went home. And the pastors thought, you know, I can't do anything more than that. I'll never see him again. Ten days later, the guy comes right bolts right past the secretary flings open the door he's got that gospel in his hand he says i know i figured it out i know who jesus is he's the son of god his life was never the same because he figured out who jesus was how from the gospel of john we went to russia in uh the early 90s 1994 went on a mission project and we went to russia for 10 days we were down in a city called Saratov, and we were passing out a book and the book had two sides half of it was called More Than a Carpenter, and it was written by Josh McDowell. It was an apologetic, a, a book designed to, to demonstrate and to prove who Jesus was. And if you flipped it over, on this side it was the Gospel of John. Well, we got to Saratov, and we were some of the first Americans who had ever been there because uh, it was a closed city, they, they manufactured tanks and, and helicopters there, and foreigners were not allowed before the, the fall of communism. And we went out on the street, and we began to hold up the books and say, we want to give these books away for free. And we held up more than a carpenter, and we hardly had any any takers. We thought, what are we doing wrong? And then somebody said, what they want is on the other side. So we stood out there, and I'm going to tell you what, we had this cart with with piles of books and we held them up and said evangelon and we could not unwrap the books fast enough. Okay? They came from the city. They just poured out when they heard we were giving away the evangelon, the gospel. They came running and we simply would just unwrap the books and go like this and pass them out. We didn't find any laying on the street. You have to understand, this is 1994, and the people were hungry for the word of God. It had been closed off in their lives. And when we said we have the gospel, they came in droves and took it. I mean, if you went to the mall today and gave out $10 bills, you wouldn't get the same crowd that we had. They were so thirsty for the word of God. Why was it written? So that you might know he is Jesus the Christ. You might know salvation. Evangelism. Now, there were many things John could have included in his gospel. I mean, he was one of the insiders. He was one of the inner group of the Twelve. But we don't hear much about John himself in here. He is not focused upon himself. He is focused upon Jesus the Christ. Okay? Now, if you were going to write something about the Son of God, what might you include in that? Might you include a description of him? Might you include what he did in his spare time, what his likes and dislikes were? Might you include the color of his eyes and his hair? Um, Might you include things like, well, what what did happen to Nicodemus eventually? What did happen? What did the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, do after she went and told everybody? What became of her? Those things are not important. John is not concerned about what Jesus looked like. He does not think that that is an important aspect in our understanding of who the Christ is. Only the things that he lists here. So when you say, what happened between you know, those ages of uh, 13 when we last hear about Jesus and 30 when he begins his public ministry? I don't know. Does it matter? Not really. If you uh, do the gospel according to, to Cecil B. DeMille or Ben-Hur or whatever, you know he gave Ben-Hur a drink of water when Ben-Hur was being taken off to the slave, trip. Beyond, slave ship. Beyond that, we don't know. Okay? Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. Well, I really want to know have you ever come across somebody who said, Well, how am I supposed to believe if we've got all these blanks in the life of Jesus? How do we know that he was perfect in all those years? Have you ever seen a perfect teenager? I mean, beyond me? I mean, I no. No. None of us are perfect, except for Christ. Except for Christ. The context. Let's look at the context of why John says this at this point. The resurrection has happened. If we go earlier in that chapter of 20, we see that Jesus has revealed himself. He has come. He is. This is his resurrected body. He has come to Thomas and said, go ahead, stick your fingers in here. This is me. This is the real thing. John says, in fact, how did he come to believe? He said, I saw the empty tomb. I saw the grave closed close there. I believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the way that it happened. Jesus appears to his disciples here. Now, John does not put this statement of purpose at the beginning, as I said earlier, but waits to the the end. Almost as if he is saying, in case you have missed it, in case after these last 10,000 words and these illustrations and these things of Christ, you have missed the one singular purpose for which I have written this work, it is that you might believe. See, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they stress the events Of the life of Jesus. John stresses the interpretation of the events of the life of Jesus. Let me demonstrate that a little bit for you. He spends an entire chapter on Nicodemus. An entire chapter on Nicodemus. And it's not just the coming of Nicodemus. What is the purpose of that? It is so that you might understand what it means to be born again. Then, the woman at the well. You understand the Samaritan woman at the well, she is there at noon. Nobody goes to get water at noon in the Middle East unless you are cast out from the rest of society. And Jesus, who is a Jewish man, speaks to a Samaritan woman at noon at the well and says, Can you give me a drink? And then the conversation goes into what? Water, so that you will never thirst again. Worshiping in righteousness and truth and, and holiness and that. And she is changed Forever. And she runs off to tell everybody else in town about the man who knew everything about her. And as we'll see later when we get to that chapter, she left her water, pot, her water pot there at the well. She came looking for water, and she got water. But not the kind you drink. The kind that fills you up for all eternity from inside. You get to the, another chapter where you have the feeding of the 5,000. A miracle in a very tangible fashion. And he lays this all out. And that was just the men who were fed, the 5,000. He doesn't talk about all the women and the children that were there. And what happens later in that passage? He shows us, John shows us. He said, they followed him across the lake. Why did they follow him across the lake? Because they wanted some more food. They wanted some more miracles. It wasn't that they were hungry for his word. But John says, you see, these people, they saw the miracle and they didn't believe He said, Blessed are those who hear and do not see and believe. They're more blessed than those who see. See, John gets into the lives of the people. Now, if he were here today, what would he tell us? He says, This is how I came to faith. I saw Jesus. I saw him for years. I watched how he interacted with people. I saw the people who came in contact with Jesus and walked away and were not changed, but I saw the lives that were changed forever. I saw the scars. I saw the empty tomb. I saw the the cloths lying there in the tomb. He is the risen Lord, and I've written all this so that you might believe the same thing that I believe and that you might have eternal life because of it. Over the course of the next weeks, as we dig into the Gospel of John, each of us is going to have to come face to face with the evidence of who Jesus is. And what will we do with that? Okay. For some, it will be the beginning of faith. Perhaps some who walk in here, they will hear the Gospel and understand it for the first time and their lives will be changed because that is the purpose the word of God does not come back void. It will go, it will implant in some hearts, the spirit will work and lives will be changed. Some of us, it will be a tool that we have been waiting for and we'll say, I can use this. I've got some friends who need to hear this and now I can understand how I can share this and what this, the power of this gospel is. Some, unfortunately, I think, will come and they'll find their heart will grow harder they grow harder because they'll, in hearing a cursory way, they will grow ever more confident in, in a faith that is mediocre. A faith that they think is good enough. A faith that they've had, and yes, I'm, I'm a believer, but the fruit of their life is not really being demonstrated. They'll say, I believe these things, but in believing them, they'll remain the same. For those of us who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot hear it again. We cannot dig into it in a deep fashion without being changed again and becoming more and more like him. If we profess faith in Christ, if we say that we believe these things, then our lives must demonstrate it. We cannot be the same when we hear the gospel. You will find in the gospel of John, what Christ has done for you. You will find how he lived. You will find how lives have been changed. But it will be for us. So it will be the question, like Thomas, will you put away your doubts now? And will you believe? And will your life be forever changed? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a great book. It is a gospel, but it has a very distinct purpose. It is a theological work so that we might read it and believe who Jesus is. In the coming weeks, Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might dig into this gospel and know who Jesus is and know in such a way that we live with such boldness, that we live with such power, that we fear no man, we fear no system in our society, we fear nothing that the world can do for us, that we are more focused upon living for Christ than anything else because we know who he is, because we have read and believed, and by believing we know we have eternal life, and then our desire would be that others would read and know and believe and have eternal life. Lord, grant that in the midst of all this, that our hearts are full of compassion and calmness and mercy, that as we share these absolute truths that are in Scripture, we would do so in that fashion, in a way that it is gentle and caring, but uncompromising. Lord, that we might demonstrate in all that we do and say the things of Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 24. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Number 24.